Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, their fellow redeemed. The word we're going to take a look at are from John chapter 14. These are spoken by our Savior to his disciples the night before of his death, so Monday, Thursday evening. You heard me say I am going away. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe, not if it happens, when it will happen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's just take a moment for a quick prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, please bless the words of my mouth and the devotion of all our hearts this evening. That your spirit works in us that confidence of faith that trusts you to be true to your word, that we have nothing to be afraid of. Lord, calm our hearts and crush the fear of what's next in our lives. In Jesus, our conqueror's name, we ask it. Amen. You're probably familiar with this logo. I would imagine that I've seen some of you in line when I go to work in the morning. You know, I, don't, I work three mornings a week. I start at 9 o'clock. I usually am rolling past Starbucks right here on Northland Avenue, probably around 8.30, 8.40 at the latest. I like getting there early. I was raised in a home that says, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. All right, so you know where I'm at. And, and I'm always amazed, you know, that the cars are already lined up on Northland Avenue at, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and there's already 15 cars in line, and, and it just stays that way just about all day. <sighs> Wouldn't it be nice, you know, and I think because it's gourmet coffee, and you get to order it exactly the way you want to, and you got money to burn, that's why Starbucks is so popular, right? Wouldn't it be great if we could deal with life like we did gourmet coffee, that we could just order it exactly the way that we wanted it, right? You, you, you ring up that great barista in the sky and you simply say, Lord, I'd like a, an extra hot cup of longevity. And, and put in and add lots of ability and take out all the disability, okay? I'd like this, this grande size of happiness with a few dollops of love, right? And a Caribbean vacation would really be nice, too. I'd like a nice four-year university education and a good job. Maybe a little romance in there. And just keep out any failing health, okay? Help me be well-respected, Lord. You know, I would like about a medium-sized steaming hot cup of pleasure with a couple of shots of indulgence in there and hold all the consequences. 
But it doesn't seem that we get life that way, does it? You know, it, it seems that that great big barista from above, you know, what he hands us instead is a little bit of disappointment and almost a, oh man, I don't even want to look what's in this cup, right? Sometimes when, when you, you see a new barista, you know, you wonder if they know what they're doing and you kind of do this, like, did I even get what I ordered, right? And, and sometimes I think that's the way it is with life. I have it all planned out. I want to be in control. I don't want anything to change from the way I planned it. And I'm going to be pretty upset or afraid or anxious when it isn't the way that I expect. Life is full of change. Congratulations, Joe Johnson, you know, as the barista is going, Joe, your cup's ready, right? Congratulations on your early retirement. It comes with marital problems and high inflation. Good luck. Susie Miller, I know you wanted that four-year education at the university and then have kids. Yeah, we're going to flip that around. You're going to have kids first, and then maybe you can work on college. Congratulations, you're pregnant. Joe, you finally made it to retirement. Yeah, there's this cancer that's been hiding, and you're not going to get to enjoy it. And it almost makes us think, what is this? This, What am I going to face next? I want you to think about that in terms of what was happening now with Jesus and his disciples. You heard me say, and that's all they heard him say, I'm going away. And their life just shattered. They were stupefied by this announced change of like, this is what's next. And, and I want you to think this through. They were, they were kind of shocked to their core. Things had been going so well. They had been following Jesus for three years and his popularity had grown so much so that, you know, there was a parade on Palm Sunday and, and the people were, liked Jesus so much they just about carried him in on their shoulders, right? And, and the disciples were caught up in that popularity and that happiness and they saw Jesus leading the parade and they thought, this is going to be great. Things can only get better from here. What opportunities we're going to have. They were using kingdom rhetoric, right? They were ready to call down fire on their enemies. They were arguing and jockeying, jockeying for positions in, in Christ's cabinet, right? He was going to establish this earthly kingdom and no more Roman occupation, no more being under the thumb of anybody else. The kingdom of glory was going to return to Judah. And then Jesus lays that bombshell. You heard me say I'm going away. What? Do you remember how incredulous Thomas was? Because Jesus followed up. He said, you know the way to the place where I am going? And Thomas goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We don't know where you're going. We don't have a clue as to where you're going, so how can we know the way? They were shell-shocked by this announced change. And sometimes so are we, aren't we? You know, we get a, a change handed to us from, by that barista from above, our God in the heavens, who does whatever he pleases, and, and all we want to do is hand it back to him and say, no, thank you. 
Should we be shocked or surprised by change? You can read this at home tonight for your evening devotion, but read through Ecclesiastes 3 one more time. A time to, you know, tear down and a time to build up, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to live and a, be born and a time to die. If, if I counted correctly, King Solomon goes through 28 different expected seasons of life. Change is part of the life cycle that God has planned for us. And I'm amazed. You are all intelligent people, and I like to think of myself as somewhat intelligent. You know, I've had people say, you're as dumb as a box of rocks, but all right. You know, you you get to that point where you think, "I, I get how God governs his cosmos. You can't help but see it and witness it from nature, right? You understand that nature needs winter to rest, and then in spring it comes back to life again. You understand the changes in nature itself, and you say, oh, look at what, you know, we live in Wisconsin, right? When the buds are going to start coming out on the trees in spring, are you all going to run for the bomb shelter? In fall, in October, right, when the leaves start turning colors and brown and fall off the trees, are you going to pack up the women and children and head north? Right? And, 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 We don't, right? We're completely relaxed because, oh, these are the required changes. God's in control. Everything is good. But life is about change on a personal level, too, and not just on a seasonal level. We somehow hold God to a different standard. You know, life is about change. We, we move out of the house and we move over at work and we move through the system and, and we've got all of these different changes, some positive, some not so positive. But we sure seem to get worked up and filled with anxiety about change. The board of directors elected a new CEO at work. Run! They closed Shopco down. You'd think they were bombing Iowa when that happened. Sears and the mall closed down. I can't buy tools anymore. Oh, no. All right. You know, I talked with the kids about uh, like when a teacher, right? You get a new teacher and you don't know anything about her and it's such a scary proposition of what's next. I think that's what the disciples were doing. Oh, no. And they were actually despairing of, can they trust God or not, right? Is he going to keep his promise to hold my right hand fast? When we overreact to change and don't step back to to think about the promises that God has made to you and me, we put ourselves in jeopardy, spiritual jeopardy. Because those changes can endanger our relationship with God and our trust in his word. I thought this was an interesting passage. Jeremiah chapter 8 says, Even the stork in the sky knows their appointed seasons, and the dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise? You know, the sandhill cranes are flying back, and the geese are flying back. I saw some trumpeter swans the other day. They all, this whole man, you know, do you think that they were not comfortable down in the Gulf of Mexico? 
that you think anyone says, oh, come on, really? We got to go back up north again. God, do you realize what you're asking us to do? None of that. They understand and embrace and accept the changes, and they go, if God was with us, our maker, right, in the Gulf, he's going to be with us up there in northern Wisconsin as well. And, and, you know, the disciples had a hard time wrestling through this, and, and maybe so do we at times when God allows and permits and even sends changes into our life that we don't have control over. And that's why God makes this amazing promise in John 14. I want you to remember this simple truth. In Christ, I am never alone. We just sang about it. Because of Jesus and his promises and his power and his presence, we are never alone. He says, I will ask the advocate and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Those are the key, key words. No matter what happens next, right? You are not alone. Not in Christ, ever alone. Right? The spirit of truth, all this I spoke while still will you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my name. In other words, let me just jump on that. When he says he's going to come in my name, he's going to be sent by the Father in my name with Jesus' authority as his representative, with his power, with his abilities. The Holy Spirit is the, the presence of Jesus Christ in and with the followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit living in you means you got Jesus. Right? that he will never leave you or forsake you. And, and this is a beautiful promise. And some of the words here just shimmer with meaning when he says, he will give you another advocate. I'd like to just focus on those two words. You know, this is, I remember I had a teacher in grade school. Her name was Mrs. Hafemeister. The old Germans would go, Hafemeister, right? Mrs. Hay, she was my favorite. She just loved me up to death, right? And, and that's okay, but I remember she, she was really old, and she retired. And she was going to introduce us to the replacement. She just so lovingly built her up and said, this is going to be your neat teacher. Her name is Barbatkowski, and she's going to teach you well. She's going to be, you know, just fine, and you're going to love her, and she's going to take good care of you. You know, it's like, all right, I'm going to miss Mrs. Hafemeister, but I guess she'll be okay, right? You know, that was so comforting that Miss Hafemeister gave her the thumbs up and said, right, She's okay. You can trust her. This is what Jesus is doing. He so loves his people that he doesn't want you to be afraid. He says, look who I'm giving you, another advocate, right? Now, another, in the Greek language, there's two words for it. Um, let me give you an example. If I were on a plane and I was reading my Bible, and I was sitting next to somebody who says, oh, what you reading there? And I said, well, this is my Bible. This is a translation. Do you have one? Well, no. Well, here, you take one. I have another. So I give him my Bible. When I said, I have another, I'm not saying I have another book. I'm not going to go home when I, for devotions and get Popular Mechanics or Reader's Digest or Ladies' Home Journal. I'm going to get another copy of Scripture, one just like the first one. That's what that Greek word means, alos, Right? What Jesus says is, I'm giving you an advocate, a counselor who's going to come alongside and be with you forever, who's just like me. As Jesus comforts, the Spirit comforts. As Jesus heals, the Spirit heals. As Jesus teaches and guides, the Spirit teaches and guides. He is my presence in you and with you. 
And he is that advocate, the paraclete in the, in the Greek. It's one who is called to come alongside and just stand right by your side and lead you all the way through. So Jesus now in great love for his followers of all time is basically saying, no matter what comes next, you're not alone, I'm with you. And he wants us to try and take that in. We sometimes feel when, when the shoe drops that we're all alone. I can't imagine what our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukrainian Lutheran Church are feeling. There's a little church body with about 600 Christians, Lutheran Christians in Ukraine. Uh, about 12 pastors scattered throughout. And, and they are basically standing their ground. They're sharing the word of God with their communities. They're trying to help refugees. Some of them are helping the soldiers on the front lines. They're sending their wives and their children away. I don't know what that's like, and I don't know how I'd stand up underneath that. But the fact that day after day, they are sharing the word of God with all their fellow citizens in those cities like Kiev and Kharkiv and Mariupol is just a testament to the fact of, you know what? Even though we're going through this what next, we know who's going through it with us. We are not alone and we are here for a purpose. And God is using them in a remarkable way. And, and Jesus wants us to remember too that even in those what nexts that aren't so pleasant, that are downright maybe frightening, that diagnosis or that job loss or that problem with the kids, he still says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. There will be no separation between you and me. You can count on that. He proved the depth of his love when he went to the cross to die for your sins. You never have to question that. But don't question his presence either. He will never, ever leave us. I have one final thought. If you like me, Maybe you don't like change much. I don't think any of us really like change. I had a very wise man once say to me, if you don't like change at all, go to any soda machine in time, town. I guarantee you won't find any change there. Something to it, right? I've been in a few hotels where you go all the way down the end of the hall, find that pop machine, you know, and you get zero change back, right? Change is part of things, but how many of you bow the knee at night and thank God for the changes that he has permitted or allowed? I think this is the thing that I wrestle with, is I don't always see God's strategy in allowing change and allowing those what-nexts into our life. And sometimes those what-nexts of our own doing and device, but you know, many of them God permits. Here's, here's two thoughts that I want to share with you. Um, as Jesus is wrapping up this beautiful conversation and trying to steady and stabilize his disciples as they're, they're shook at the prospect of what's coming next. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How does that peace that passes all understanding, you know, that's rooted in the cross, how does that come into our lives and stabilize us when we're undergoing what comes next, those changes? I think it's a twofold thing. One, we always go back to the cross and see, wait a minute, if he loved me enough to do that for me, he's certainly going to love me enough to stand by my side in this change. But 
there's, there's a couple of things that come to mind beyond that. One is that change, I think, the, the what-nexts of life, they're part of God's strategy to change us and save the world. Sometimes change changes us so that God may use us as his instrument. What do I mean by that? I, I think about Gideon, who used to be a farmer, and God changed him into a general. I, I think about David, who used to be a shepherd boy, and he turned him into a king. I think about Joseph, who was a, a little brother, and he turned him into an Egyptian prince. Or Mary, who was a peasant girl, and she ended up being the mother of our Lord. Or Saul, who used to be a local rabbi, and he ended up being evangelist to the world. Or, or Peter, all he wanted to do was just let him alone and fish the Sea of Galilee. And he made him the first leader and protector of the church. God has a strategy to use the changes in life to... to mold us and shape us and round us out and to be those witnesses for him in this world. And, and I know that some of you may be going like I do, of, but how can all the, the negative things in life, you know, the, the, uh, a child born with birth defects, how can that be for good? How can that change me for good? How can that be a blessing? Or, or marriage that goes on the rocks and a divorce ensues, or, or a hurricane, or a tornado, or a war, or a, a, a blitz of all kinds of negative things in this life. How can those be for my good? Yeah, you're going to look at me and say, I know, Pastor, we say it in Romans. We know that all things work together for our good. Do you believe it? How do we get to that peace where God says, even in the midst of what comes next, I can have peace? I think... I think I have proof. When you were in the womb, was God preparing you for life and wombed to be permanently in the womb? Probably not, right? He was preparing you for life outside the womb to live in this life for his glory and for the good of others. You had, though, think about it with me, you had eyes. Could you see? Not at all. Useless. What purpose could they possibly have? Why do I have eyes? But I bet you're glad you got them now. In the womb, you had ears, right? Did you hear anything? Maybe. There's some startle reflex, I'm told. But you had nostrils. Did you breathe in the womb? Nope. Right? The umbilical cord just keeps sending the nutrients, and the frame grows, and the bones get stronger. You had hair, and you had fingernails. And toenails, they were useless in the womb, but I bet you're glad you got them now. I believe that as God gets us ready, as he knit us together in our mother's womb, all the ligaments and all the sinews and all the parts just as they should be, he was getting us ready for earthly life to be his children and to carry out his purposes. In the same way, the changes that we go through in this life, I believe, are getting us ready for our heavenly life. I think that some of the things in this life that God allows or permits, even as hard as they may seem, they are allowing us to have an eternal perspective rather than living for an earthly perspective and time to grab all the joy and all the happiness we can because that's just it. When change comes that is hard, that makes us struggle, that makes us maybe even be anxious about what comes next, 
Boy, doesn't it make you long for the eternal change of, of being in heaven with him? St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in the midst of all of our difficulties and challenges, and he sure had a pile of them, we're renewed from day to day. The light trouble of this moment is preparing for us an everlasting weight of glory greater than anything we can imagine. God's making sure that we keep our eyes fixed on those things we cannot see the things of heaven, and not fixed on these earthly things that turn away and pass away. Yes, please, if, if I can have the ear of that great barista in the sky, I want a grande size of eternal glory in the presence of God experiences his love forever. Yes, please, I'll take one of those. And I hope you pray for that every night because you never know if that's going to be the next thing you drink. Right? None of us are promised tomorrow. But whatever does come next, you don't have to be afraid because he's crushed that fear by his love and his promises. Amen.